Hi, I'm Finn from the Central West Leadership Academy here in Dubbo, back with another episode of Pieces of Wisdom Series 3, Capturing Our Histories. The series where I interview local leaders and elders for their stories, lessons and histories. Today, I'm going to talk to Frank Doolan, commonly known as Riverbank Frank, local elder and Aboriginal advocate. Alright, so I'm here with... Uh, Frank Doolan, or as I'm better known locally, Riverbank Frank. And, uh, and we're going to have a talk today. So uh, uh, where did you grow up? Uh, although I live in Dubbo on the riverbank now, I actually spent my formative years in Burke in far western New South Wales. Very nice. Uh, and, and what was your childhood like uh, growing up? Did you have, was it good? Did you enjoy it? Uh, do you have any stories uh, that you want to share? Oh, uh, <laughs> how much time have we got? But, yeah, <laughs> um, it was... It was good. It was, in many ways, idyllic. Um, it was very different from uh, a lot of uh, even Aboriginal people at the time, you know, in that I lived with both my mother and father. Both of them were fairly supportive and uh, I knew that, so I grew in that reality. Did you have, uh, did you have many friends when you were younger? Uh, did you enjoy playing outside? Or kind of... oh, yeah, I can remember um, being, moving off uh, uh, as a young boy, uh, moving off Burke Reserve um, with my family. So we actually moved into a, a place in town and, uh, yeah, I grew up and went to school with uh, white kids as well. And when I was younger, at least... Um, we're all friends. Um, uh, what was your What was your schooling experience like? Did you enjoy school? Uh, did you learn useful things? Uh, what was it like? Well, in hindsight, I'd say that it was it was good. It was useful, and yeah, I learned a lot of stuff. But I'd hardly describe it as um, being a good experience. And um, you know, uh, it may have a lot to do with me, but. Uh, I don't know, I, I um, had a reasonable degree of intelligence and even then and I found that a lot of the time I'd get singled out. For example, I was in a lot of A classes uh, at school and <laughs> not many black kids were there and you didn't go there as an act of goodwill. You went there because you were blitzing other kids in all the intelligence tests. So, yeah, um, there, uh, I kind of lived in that reality, but <laughs> I, from an early age, too, remember teachers laying stuff on me about working hard at school and doing something for my race and achieving something. And I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I just think that. To lay that on a kid of say eight or nine is a bit rich, and at any rate, it didn't go down well with me. I uh, rebelled against people and systems, and I wanted to be who I wanted to be. And <clears throat> the last thing that I was thinking at that early stage in life was of being something for my people. You know. Um, uh, uh, the town I grew up in, um, even though I described my childhood as 
idyllic, was a very racist town. As a child, even as a child, I knew that. And I knew what colour my skin was too. I didn't grow up in a place where I had regrets about that at all, but I grew up in a town where I was constantly reminded of it and made in many ways, even as a child, to feel ashamed of who I was and of my people and of our heritage. So yeah, um, yeah, spent your childhood trying as you might to fit into stuff, but you grew up too in a reality of being black in a white town and being kind of subhuman in a way, I suppose. Um, and uh, uh, what did you do when you left school or when you, when you grew old enough to, <coughs> to leave school? What was that like for you? Well, um, sorry about that. What happened um, was um, once, you know, uh, like I said, um, uh, school as a young person uh, through primary school and that, that's when I kind of started my 10-year war with the headmaster, but, um, you know, um, uh, it was fairly good in primary school, um, uh, but uh, in high school it was quite different. Um, it was around the time of the, um, you know, uh, things like the, the Aboriginal Tenant Embassy, the Freedom Ride, I went through Walgett, Charlie Perkins, stuff like that. I saw all those things. Uh, I saw um, the birth of the Aboriginal Legal Service, Medical Service in Redfern. I uh, actually got to know a lot of the people who led those struggles. So, yeah, um, uh, I lived through a time of great change, social change, especially in the Aboriginal or Indigenous community and yeah I was a part of that change even as a well probably even more so as an impressionable angry young black teenager um, I lived through it and yeah <laughs> I learned all the slogans and all the ways to defend yourself and how to survive when you were younger, did you have any um, aspirations or dreams that you wanted to be? And if so, have you achieved those goals or are you happy with where you have come? That's a big question. Um, I don't know. Uh, when I was younger, um, I didn't dream from an early age in the same way, like wanting to be a fireman or policeman, a doctor or something like that. Um, uh, as I said, I grew up in a family that was, you know, I had my mum and dad, but I also had extended family and I knew who my people were. So uh, from an early age in life, um, uh, I just found that people and the group and the strength and the security in that was what mattered to me. Um, uh, I knew from an early age that I was going to be what I imagined to be a black revolutionary. That is, before I had even reached age, I knew 
I was going to go to Redfern as soon as I could. I was going to find out, find and seek out the local black power heroes of the time and I was going to learn from them what I could and I was going to be involved at a, at the coalface as it were in the, this black struggle and yeah, I went looking and I found it and um, so yeah, um, it shaped who I am and um, you know, so I don't know if that answers the question or not but uh, uh, well, you know, the things I did, I don't have any regrets about that, you know, uh, 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 being the angry uh, young black person that I was, I now know in many ways I understand my anger and what it was about, but it was a different time and blacks were told to sit down and shut up and I couldn't do that, so yeah, it was a bit rough for me. Earlier you mentioned a, uh, a, a war with the headmaster or principal, though. What was that? Do you want to elaborate on that? Oh, just exactly that. I went to uh, school in a time when corporal punishment was a part of the process. I had all my fingers, all of them, broken by teachers trying to break my spirit, both hands and stuff like that. But, you know, so from an early age, I had this notion as a child that if I stopped up, I was going to get punished and punished severely. And it was going to involve pain, pain not just to my person, like in a physical sense, but, you know, they'd often bring you out the front of the classroom, turn the line you up, and, you know, you'd have to get six of the best or whatever to teach you. Deemed you needed and in all that too, because it was that era, you couldn't cry, couldn't even shed a tear. So, yeah, you grow up with a lot of repressed stuff and a lot of anger, especially if you understand what's going on, you know, and the dynamics of the power struggle between people, you know. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't really understand it except that I realise now that that teacher and I and that school system and I we were never going to, it was never going to work. They weren't going to get the best out of me and I didn't want to be there anyway. So, and I just went to public school so, you know, way it was a waste of public funds over a long while. You know, because the definition of madness is to keep doing the same thing, and they still do in many ways what they did with me as a student. You asked me, I think it was the sister, about my aspirations before. Well, even though I never aspired to it or, you know, wanted to do it or dreamed of doing it, I know beyond knowing, because I've got mates that do the same stuff, that if I wanted to, I could have been a defence lawyer, earned a truckload of money. I know too from other mates that I could have worked in advertising, made a lot of stuff out of that too, or had an easier road, you know, and I've been offered opportunities too, but even in that, there's 
a lesson for what I learn and if you like. Um, for me, I'm not interested in my bank balance. The idea is laughable, but I'm rich beyond rich through the experiences that I've had. And I don't know, I've never resolved from being who I am either. I haven't observe convention to make other people happy. I just been who I've been and I've always been true to my indigenous uh, heritage and my spirit and uh, and <laughs> that's the only thing I, that I can base whether it's a good or a bad thing but in that time I've seen a lot of changes for the better. So, you know, I recognise opportunities too even this, what's happening today, especially in the presence of my brother as an Indigenous teacher and my sister as a student, you know, the potential and the possibilities in that are so powerful too, you know. Um, I'm just riverbank, but if my story can inspire um, somebody from the next generation or the one coming to uh, do even better, then, you know, I'm wrapped. That's what it's about, I think. And my life will not have been lived in vain, you know. Uh, I, I live quite easily with the idea that I plant trees whose shade others will enjoy. I love the kids, you know, and the idea and the hope lies in that notion, you know, because in that the possibilities are endless, you know. Um, you know, at the present point in time, the only thing that's been held up to you and to me as a solution to what ails us is the statement from the heart. <laughs> the idea makes me laugh that a week... Uh, at a resort beside the rock in the middle of the country and you can come up with a statement from the heart. I'll tell you here and now, as sure as I'm sitting here with you and we're sharing the same space, this is a statement from the heart, <laughs> really. And that's all we need. We don't need to uh, have some idea that's, um, in the end, simply becomes a conversation about what is yours and what is mine. Because if we do, in the process, I believe, and this is only my belief, but I believe we will de deny ourselves, all of us, the fullness of the human experience. Because humanity, as I've observed it, it's not about your race or your religion. It's about much deeper things. And I think that in reality, we all connect. And the idea that, you know, if you go to Bega or to Broome and you stand on the, on the shore there, you are in effect on the edge of the country. And it's a big country in between, isn't it? A lot of different people, 
lot of different stories, so much possibility. And I think that we have to, I know in fact that the only way forward for us really is if we create a place where everybody can live in those possibilities, you know, everybody in this country, black or white, man or woman, everybody can dream and everybody can reach the fullness of their utmost potential as humans. That, for me, when we arrive at that point in this country, we will have arrived, you know. We're not going to get what I'm speaking of from some statement at all. What I'm speaking of could be contained in the lines from the Warumpi Band song, Black Fella, White Fella. And they simply go, and I quote, black fella, white fella, doesn't matter what your colour, long as you true fella. Through living both in Burke and Dubbo, uh, which of the two do you think um, uh, is better at recognising and respecting the Indigenous community in the area? Well, I'd have to say Dubbo. I live in Dubbo. Dubbo is the centre of my universe and we can only live, all of us, in this one day, here and now. But, you know, uh, what I will say is that in many ways, um, uh, the Burke I lived in was the Burke of its times. You know, a lot of things have changed, and for the better in Burke uh, too. A lot of things have changed for the worse. I can't speak either way on that. That's up to the people who live and love Burke, you know, to do what it takes to make it a, a livable place, if you like. And me, what I'm doing every day of my life, as long as I, draw, I can draw a breath, um, I'll do it. And I do it here in Dubbo. And it is, I go into every school, I talk to kids, black and white, and I talk about the reality as I see it, and I talk about the possibilities in a shared dream, you know. And um, I'm going to continue doing that, so I can't say how it's going to go and which one is better, but I can tell you this, um, I uh, know and admire the teachings of another black man, a great man, in Mahatma Gandhi, and he said, don't dream the change, be the change. I'm just trying to be the change. You know, what are you going to do? <coughs> okay. Uh, how did you go from uh, from living in Burke to living in Dubbo? Did you, did you travel around? Did you uh, move around? Oh, yeah. I, in, in that time, I, um, uh, you know, cut, cut out a great swathe of my life and a lot of places. There have been a lot of places I've... Uh, traverse this country as it were a lot more dinner times and dinners and you know I've seen the inside of jails and all the rest of it I've had the black experience in an urban setting as well as rural isolated settings and yeah I, I know people um, 
you know, from, um, uh, you know, uh, the west, the north, the south, and I can tell you that, you know, really, um, it doesn't change what I believe. We're all people and we all need each other. Your, your lifestyle and how you live is, uh, is um, well, you, you live in a caravan on the, on the banks of the Macquarie River, is, is that correct? I do. Um, why, why did you choose this lifestyle? What made it appealing to you? Well, what I'll say is, <laughs> why not? But, yeah, um, I chose to live the way, and choose to live the way I do, and um, a lot of people that look at that and think, well, what are you doing? And they shake their head and other people think, well, why play the martyr? And, you know, that's a fair enough assessment too. But what I find is that, I don't know, um, I can't just live out on the riverbank now and watch the water go by. Um, what, what will be the case, what is the case, is that a lot of people, and especially a lot of young people, they're watching the way that I live. So I'm at a point in my life too where I could make a lot of money out of what I do, just sharing stories, you know, and for mine, that's money for Jim. But I choose instead uh, because I've learned uh, how easy it is to live with a lot less and I choose instead uh, the philosophy, you know, less of me, less for me, more for you, <laughs> and you know, um, it works. Um, uh, I, uh, I, I, in that, there's a conscious effort too. I reject materialism and consumerism and all that stuff, you know, and. I don't know, you may or may not know what I think, uh, what I mean by that, but I think you do in that, you know, I'll put it to you this way, if we were going to go out for, say, two weeks from away from Dubbo, what are the things you'd take, what are the things you couldn't be parted with, you know, and do you need contact with your mobile phone to know that you're human, you know, um, stuff like that. Um, we all carry this stuff in life that we use as shields or spears and, you know, <laughs> in a lot of ways it does not define who we are, you know. Who we are is somebody much, much better, really. <laughs> but that somebody is inside us and it's only when we shed those things that make us big time that we find out who we really are, you know? Like, I don't know. Um, well, you've got to be out there on the riverbank at sunset by your fire, you know, when the fire has been burning for a few hours and you look into it and the coals are beautiful and then you look up and across the riverbank and there's a blood-red sunset on the other side and there's... 5,000 white cockatoos, sulphur-crested ones, you know, uh, going apeshit in the, in the river gums, 
all trying to outdo each other with this song, you know. And it, it's very complicated. It just involves squawks, squawks, squawks. And you can't hear yourself think in this cacophony of sound. And none of it, none of it is an urban environment at all. I'm not going to hear the screeching of a bus's brakes or something in between. And I'm there. And when I'm there, I'm where my people have been. My people go back on Talbragar Mission a few generations. Before that, we was in the scrub. So when stuff like that happens to me, and that happens to me every afternoon, really, when there's a good sunset, but when it happens, I know in my heart of hearts why I do what I do. Because just for a moment even, when I look up across my fire and see the sun going down and feel the night cold and, you know, and my dog's here with me and he's just turned into a two, I know then that there's no nowhere else I need or would rather be, you know. Um, I don't dream of somewhere else. I'm here and this is where it's happening. So, yeah, um, you know, uh, the life I live uh, is not for everybody. Um, but there's a certain amount of satisfaction in it too. Like, for example, if I do a welcome to country, a lot of the time, uh, the people who I'm doing it for it might be a government department. With a government department, the going rate starts at 300 bucks. So $300 for 30 seconds to three minutes work, for mine, that's money for jam. Now, if I do 10 of them a year, I'm 3000 in front <laughs> from doing very little work. I cannot keep that money myself and look at myself, um, you know, in the mirror and know that I'm being real. So <laughs> uh, I don't even see the money, all right? Uh, I give it away. There's a lot of worthy causes you can give uh, $300 to, but that doesn't make me Aborigine of the year at all. It's just my last week, for example, I gave away, well, at least $1,000 uh, to uh, to a bloke in this town who's doing something for the men in this city. And um, that is not a tax dodge or anything like that. I haven't put in a tax return since 1981, so it's not about the money at all. And like I said, it's not about making me Aborigine of the year either. That without being all-consuming, is just laughable, you know, so I'm not there as far as that goes. But what it means is that, man, you could have 300 big ones in your hand, folding thing, you know, folding stuff, all plastic. But what can I do? Go down the pub, put it through the poker machines, buy stuff at Aldi, if I give it away and it's much needed and you see how stuff goes on and on and on and where am I? I'm way back there and where I am and who I am doesn't matter. But the idea that 
everything's connected and that we can, all of us, be the strength in another person's life, well, I don't know. That's kind of almost sacred, if you like, you know? I um, don't think of myself as much, not really, but the idea that I could give that much money uh, on an annual basis to this city and to some of the most needed projects in this city, well, I'm happy with that, you know? Yeah. Really, that's, that's, that's where the process can lead because it can mean that those things, where, where they get a little bit of extra money that they're not expecting, they can function a whole lot better and freeze them up to do other stuff. But even more than that, it speaks into their more um, hearts, you know, when people do things. So just remember, everything you do, everything you do, every action has a reaction. So everything that you do will come back on you. And really, you can, if you choose, you can be the pebble in the pond. You know what I mean? You throw that pebble and the ripples spread out and gradually they touch everything. Or you can be the boulder in the billabong too. Really, you can, uh, only you can control the stuff that matters in your life. You're in the driver's seat, but you can be, you know, you can make a lot of little ripples or you can make a real bang. You can let people know every single day of your life who you are and you can be a part of change and change for the better. And, you know, as Brother Mahatma says, you won't be dreaming the change then, you'll be being it. Everybody creates, together we create the reality that we want. And me thinks too that in many ways we create the reality we deserve. The reason why we we get what we deserve is, in my humble opinion, because in many ways we lack the courage, you know? And so if I can give you anything at all from this exchange, that's what I'll say to you as young people. It's not going to be easy. And you've got to know what fear is, really, because <laughs> it's going to be something that you're going to experience. And, you know, uh, it can vary from just a, a little thing to abject terror in the face of it when, you know, <laughs> it's hard to stand up and look the world in the eye. Those are the times, if you've got what it takes, when you can grow what the goodens call courage. It's in all of us. But, you know, and it's here in equal quantities. But, like I said, you are in the driver's seat of your life, so you control that, you know. It's like your mobile phone or your com computer. You can go to the parts of you that you know are going to benefit people and benefit them best. You can, if you want, be a part of the positive change 
and together all of us can be a part of this thing called life. How do you think young people generally receive the stories that you're telling them? Well, I think it applies to all of us. How do you connect with younger people, you know? Um, and I don't know, I think it's got to do with the equality of man or, or of um, humanity in that, you know, you don't think, or I don't at least live solely, wholly and solely in the reality that as an older person I know everything there is to know about everything. I know full well that unless I've got the kids, I can't even make the remote work for the TV, you know. So there's a trade-off of knowledge and stuff like that. But I don't know, this is going to sound a bit cosmic, but I've found it to be the absolute reality. It's a hard thing, you know. You've got to go into a situation <laughs> and what I find is that kids, young people, have got a really good crap detector too. So they can tell if you're real or if you're not. Mm. And say, so, you know, I just I just find that you, you go into a situation with an open heart and you show that young person and you don't take their space off them, you know. Um, I hope one thing... The most important thing in this in this whole exercise, I hope that I've given to these young people, for example, is I want them both to have the courage and the you know the commitment to dream. I want the possibilities to be endless, you know, because that is the real purpose of stuff. You see, that's what happens when we set a, a, a we set the bar or the benchmark. Okay? You got people every year coming behind you and they're always gonna look at that benchmark and think, I can go better. That's how we got the four minute mile, you know? You gotta really you gotta understand what it was like in athletics before they actually did that. To know what it means, you know? And look at the great records across various sporting things. They involve, you know, taking the human body to places they didn't think they could. But it involved a lot more than that too. So there's a spirit, if you like, in all of us. An energy, a place where, I don't know, where we can dream. There is a great intangible, if you like, in all of us. And you can't quite define it, you can't quite Put your finger on it, but you know beyond knowing that it's there. Um, in that place is the source of life, the wellspring of life. In that place, you can grow the courage to do what you have to do in the real world. In that place, you can feel comfortable because you can be you and nobody Nobody but nobody knows you better than you do. So it kind of, it's a place too, if you like, that invites honesty, open honesty with yourself. <laughs> you see what I mean? You can tell other people everything, but 
in this place that I'm talking about, and you know exactly what I'm talking about too. It's a place where you could lie to yourself if you wanted to. And you'd know in the utterance that you weren't being real. So yeah, I just, I value this experience. I see what you're doing at this school, in this city, in fact, and man, I'll go home, I'll sit at my fire, I'll watch the sun go down over the river, and I'll just smile, because I know that this city and everything it represents, it's in good hands. I'll tell you what, I've got little or no idea exactly what it is you'll do, but I know that it'll blow my, my mind. I know it'll be something that nobody ever quite imagined. And that's the exciting thing about youth and the future. Today, the here and now is where we're at. I've got no guarantees or assurances of tomorrow. My best years in many ways are behind me. You and the future. I love you. I'm done. Oh, I'll tell you one thing before I go. Okay? One thing. And you can remember it if you like. You can even apply it to your life if you wish. It's not connected with any religion or any idea. Simply other than what it expresses. And that is this. I've wept in the night at the shortness of sight that to some other's need made me blind. But I have never yet had a twinge of regret about being a little too kind. Be kind. <laughs>